You are listening to an audio from Redemption City Church. If you would like to explore more resources or donate to this ministry, go to www.visitredemptioncc.com. Well, good morning. How are we doing? Man, if this is your first time here, we are super excited that you made it out here. And we hope one of our regular attenders have made you feel welcome. And if you've been leaning in throughout the summer, um, we really do hope that you are growing in your relationship with Jesus. And so if you don't know, we have been in a nine-part series. And actually, it's going to be a ten-part series now. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But we've been in a nine-part series called the DNA Series. And that's essentially Redemption City Church. That's our church establishing our values and our characteristics that we want to be known for and ultimately marked by. And so we started off by, it's on the screen right now, June 9th, what does it mean to be marked by the gospel? And that's essentially us moving from our story into God's story. This is a story of redemption and reconciliation and hope. And it's the whole reason why we stand upon our faith, right? It's why we're here gathered as a church. And then we looked at what does it mean to be marked by grace and what it means to be marked by generosity. And then I love talking about this. We had our special pancakes, prayer, and pathways conversation as we had some advice Diversity, and we were not able to meet at the Arbory. So we all went to Pastor Jack's house and we leaned in over pancakes and we prayed that God might provide a place for us to do service. And then in less than seven days, we had an email from the Arbory's legal team and they were able to work it all out and we were able to come back and we celebrated that God is good, right? And so then we came back on July 7th and we talked about what does it mean to be marked by gathering? And what does it mean for us to be a people that are marked by going? And then we turned to the relationship part of our series and looked at what does it, be, what does it mean to be marked by biblical manhood and womanhood? And we looked at that from a creative order and a design of God. And then we looked at how sin affected man and woman according to God's design and then what we can do in an application way to walk back towards God's design. And then last week we leaned in and we looked at what does it mean to be marked by unity within the family unit? And we saw God doing some great things. And today I'm so excited. We're gonna be talking about covenant family and membership over two weeks. And today we're gonna to be looking at the foundational part of covenant family and membership. And then next week on our celebration Sunday, we're gonna be looking at applications. And so, um, we just want to lay a proper foundation because the things that we're talking about today honestly run really close to some people's heart. And lean in with me. It really runs really close to some people's wounds. And um, we're not here to have a theological debate because the things we're talking about over this relationship part and covenant family is definitely about a relationship. It has divided um, marriages. It's divided families. It's divided churches. And it 100% has divided denominations. But we are here as a church to ultimately define what we're going to be defined by, rooted in, and ultimately known for. So there's just a few things that I just want to lay out as we continue to lay this foundation for our church. And it's going to be on the screen for you right now. Here it is. We believe the God of the Bible is true. We really believe that here. And that he is the only real God and that he has created 
everything that exists, including certain systems and institutions, right? So some of those institutions are like the family institution or the marriage institution. We looked at both of those institutions over the last three weeks. And um, today we're going to be looking at the institution of the church, right? So whether it's the family institution, the marriage institution, or the church institution, all of them um, are for two things. One is for the glory of his name, right? Like if you don't remember anything else throughout this whole series, all of who you are, all of who you will become, everything that you see out there in this beautiful, beautiful area out here, all of it's for the glory of his name. Like I'm not the point, you're not the point, God is the point. The second reason is for the joy of his people, right? Like God's ways are always better than our ways. And the word of God always lays out for us what is best for us in the end and leads to our joy. So just like we've talked about the last three weeks, I want you to expect some difficult moments, right? Some difficult moments might happen over these next two weeks. Like you may have a couple moments where you're like, man, did Pastor Brandon really just say that? Did we really just look at church membership and family from that way? And I want you to know that my hope and my prayer is that as I'm being faithful to the Word of God, you're being faithful as a listener to interact with the Word of God. And so um, I just want to start with this beautiful verse that really embodies today's message. And so we're going to turn to Luke chapter 4, verse 16. All right, and this is the Word of the Lord. It picks up with um, the boy Jesus. It's one of our few accounts of him at the age of 12. And this is what the Word of the Lord says. It says, And he, namely Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom... He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. You see, when it was time to go to the house of the Lord with the specific people of Nazareth, that's where you would find Jesus, because it was his custom. On the Sabbath day, you tracking with me? Jesus was always at church because it was his custom. When both of his parents could not find Jesus and when they looked high and they looked low, it's when they went back to the same city, when they went back to the same synagogue, it's then that they found Jesus because it was his custom to be in the synagogue on Sunday. It was a habit. So even when mom and dad were out at the marketplace shopping and then eventually beginning their travels, they turned around their travels to look for their son and they knew exactly where to look because as it was his custom, Jesus was at church. And these are powerful implications from Jesus about the importance of belonging to a church in a covenantal way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, here we go again, gathering together this morning to discuss another weighty topic that has unfortunately become unnecessarily divisive. Don't let it be that for us, Lord. Father, I pray that as we begin this journey this morning, talking about covenant family and covenant membership, that you would open our eyes so that we might see the glorious things in your word and that you might soften our hearts so that we might interact with all that you have for us this morning. This conversation about covenant family activated through the local membership can be the most beautiful conversation, Lord. Let that be so. As we turn to the Bible in just a little bit, please, Help us so that it is to the truth of your word that we find ourselves turning and, re and responding to and obeying because we desperately need to have our minds brought into conformity with your truth. So help us. It's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. 
You know, as we begin talking about covenant family and membership, I want to start off by saying that Jesus is Lord, and that has real consequences for the life of the church. And throughout the Bible, it's always been that way. Like, God never said to the people in the Old Testament that they should go around to various nations and cultures asking them about what their preferences might be for worship services, right? Like, can you imagine Moses going to the different tents of the Canaanites asking them, um, excuse me, as we set up our tabernacles, um, we want to make sure that the way um, we're setting up the tabernacle works for you. Like, that would have been crazy, right? Like, the Canaanites were not God's people, right? And the tabernacle was not created for unbelievers. That, that would have been the wrong starting point. And nowhere in Scripture do we see that. Yet somehow our churches and our memberships have become just that, namely a watered-down catering to both an unbelieving culture and a catering to a believer's individual preferences. But here's the thing. Keep leaning in. Nowhere in Scripture, nowhere, in scripture, do we see God creating a culture built upon things like, you ready for these? Like, what kind of worship would you like? But today, some are literally deciding what church they're going to go on based upon the music. Or what, what kind of color schemes would be the most ideal for um, you here in Rome? But today, some are literally leaving churches because of aesthetics. Like, where have we gone wrong as the people of God? Or how about this one? Do you have an aversion for how long our services should run here in Bethlehem? Like, nowhere in Scripture do you see that, right? But today, many will leave because the service is too long or is too short or the sermon's too long. Or what about this one? Uh, what time works best for you here in Jerusalem? I know that you're carpenters and you are farmers. Is this going to work for you if we have our service at this time? But today, we literally have week-long conferences put on by pastors to talk at nauseum from Sunday to Friday to strategically figure out what the best start time is for church. And if we move our start time and if we have our service in the evening, maybe we'll have more attenders. Like, we, we, everything has become a strategy, right? Or what about this one? Uh, what location would be most ideal for you to meet up? The middle of the city or on the outside of the city? But today, this is a deal breaker. Don't let a church move like literally 10 miles away because now I might have to choose a different church because it's, uh, it's outside of my comfort zone, right? It might cost me 10 more miles to drive. Or here's probably the most prevalent one. Do you have any specific requests for your children's program here in Macedonia? Like, I've never heard that verse. But today, nothing is more important for so many families. We will compromise worship, and good, faithful preaching to the Word of God, all for our children to be entertained. But you see, in Scripture, we see God um, describing and prescribing what worship would look like for His people. And we see the apostles and the disciples following after Jesus in that posture. And He's called me and He's called you to also participate in what He's described and prescribed as well regarding His church. And listen, if we're truly going to take that seriously, like if we're going to really take that seriously, then we should have a real care and a real desire to know what the Word of God teaches. What does the Bible say about church membership? But make no mistake about it. Um, when we gather together on Sundays, God is still about saving unbelievers. Like right now, across um, everywhere in the country, there is service going on, and I believe by faith that unbelievers are coming into a knowing relationship with Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. 
And make no mistake about this. Primarily, Sunday gatherings are between God and his people. It is an opportunity for the people of God to lift up their hands, to worship God, to remember what he's done. And we really need to get that. Like the central focus of our gathering on Sunday is not to be overtly sensitive and catering to the unbeliever, nor is it to be overly sensitive and catering to each individual believer's preference. Now, I want to be honest with you. I didn't always understand the, the true weightiness of how important it is to gather together on a Sunday. Like even as a young pastor, um, honestly, this was true. But once I did, and hopefully once you do, like once you see this biblically, think about that. And I'm hoping that's today. Once you see this biblically, biblically our role is not to argue with God as the people of God, right? But it's to remember what he says and to be obedient. And here's what we've been learning, right? With glad submission, with glad submission. So here's the question. What does scripture say about how much or how little Christians should be committed to the church? And should that devotion be primarily to the local church, like Redemption City Church is a local expression, a specific place with specific people. And there's many local churches expressing that. Or are we primarily to have our devotion to the universal church, meaning I'm, I'm, I believe in God and I'm a part of the faith family of the world? And is church membership actually necessary? Because many people in today's generation will say, I don't need to be a member. That is a total man-made institution. We're going to explore that today. Is that true? That's a man-made institution. And they'll say this, I'm a Christian. My faith is in Jesus Christ. And that's all that matters at the end of the day. You don't need my membership. That's a man-made thing. And I want to lovingly and gently say, like, if that's you, I want you to know as Christians that that is wrong. But today, I want to lean in more. I want you to know it's dangerously wrong. Dangerously wrong. You see, we have a couple things in today's culture that's actively hindering our ability to see church membership rightly. And I want to look at that today. So here's the first one. We have a culture that is fearful and leery of institutions, right? Like, you understand that, right? Like, it's because of institutions like the church and marriage and even the government and all these different institutions over, especially in American history, because of abuse of authority, have manipulated and hurt people. And it's impacted people's objectability to interact rightly with the word of God. Here's number two. We have churches that are fearful of the backlash they might receive as spiritual institutions. And I'm talking about good and right and true churches that actually care about lifting up God's name and loving his people well. But the severe hostility that these churches receive when they stand firm upon the word of God on things like perhaps a, a firm stance on homosexuality or on abortion or abstaining from sex before marriage or gender-specific roles within the church. When these churches stand upon the word of God, the severe hostility from culture is so strong that it creates, now this is language if you've been leaning in, this is going to make sense to you, it, it creates institutional cowardly abandonment and a passive sin nature that is affecting many many 
churches. So we have two things going on. Keep track with me. We have a combination of fearful churches that are playing it safe, um, playing it down the middle, which means they're saying absolutely nothing, right? And this means that, therefore, the people of God are stagnant and they're not growing because they're not hearing the Word of God being preached faithfully. And you have people, individual people, who are anxious and um, are skeptical and have been wounded and and they've been hurt by institutional systems and their unresolved pain creates a murky and a cloudy vision, not only for themselves, but for the people around them and their influence. Like, can't you see? Literally, our fears and our anxieties and our skepticism about being mistreated or hurt dramatically clouds our ability to interact wisely with what God is clearly communicating loudly in Scripture. And I don't want that to be you. And I don't want that for your family. Now, because of all this, lean in with me, I want to be even more sensitive and honest before God and each and every one of you as your pastor to my fullest ability. So here's the thing. I want you to clearly know that the Bible does not specifically command church membership. Tracking with me? The terminology is not explicit in the Bible, and I don't want you to be afraid of that, right? We're going to lean into that. Don't be afraid of that. We're going to lean right into that today. Okay, you ready? Nowhere in the Bible is church membership in those terms mentioned. Did you know that? Did you know that? Now, it would be great if there was a specific verse that says, like, you know, John chapter 15, verse 11, join the local church because God says so, right? We would love that. That would be great. But we don't get that. But here's the thing. There's a lot of things that are not explicitly stated in the Bible that are nevertheless implicitly um, communicated and drawn from biblical theology and Scripture in a way that we as the people of God can hold confidence that it's emphatically true. And that's why I want to be careful this morning, and I want you to be careful this morning, not to prematurely denounce the importance of membership. And here's why. I want to give you two examples, and I think they're really good examples. Are you ready? For some of us, this is going to be, it's going to blow our minds a little bit. Did you know that there's no place in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, it's cover to cover, there's no place in the Bible where Jesus explicitly says, I am God. Did you know that? Jesus never says, I am God. But we know that he is God, right? Like you know that. In fact, you've built your whole life upon that. It's why you're here today. You've founded your life upon that. But do you even know why you believe that Jesus is God? See, you know that he is because there's many verses where Jesus implicitly, and dare I say, loudly communicates that he is God. He just isn't using the exact terminology. Now, here's our second example. You ready? And this is even like core to the Christian faith. Did you know that there's no place whatsoever, Genesis to Revelations, cover to cover, where the Bible communicates about the Trinity specifically? It's not outlined in Scripture. It's, it's interesting, right? This is like a core, core part of our faith. It's not outlined anywhere. But that doesn't mean that the Trinity isn't in Scripture. In fact, the Trinity is permeating all over Scripture. Now, let me show you where in Scripture what I mean by the Trinity, and then we're going to build a bridge as we look at church membership. But let's look at Trinity so we can understand what I mean. So, okay, here, here's, here's two basic things that I want you to understand about the Trinity that Scripture communicates. Okay, number one, there is only one God. 
All throughout the Bible, we are getting that message. There is only one God. Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 makes that clear. We're not going to look at all these passages, but I want you to write these down. Like, you don't have to just trust me. Go home. Do your homework. I want you to be student learners, right? Disciples, student learners. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 makes that clear. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 makes that clear. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 22 makes that clear. In many other parts of the New Testament make that clear. Here's the second thing that we can see that is permeating all over the scriptures about the Trinity. So one, remember, there's only one God. Now here's the second part of understanding the Trinity, that there are three distinct persons. Scripture is making that clear. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Are you tracking with me? Right? So let's, let's look at each one of these quickly. Okay, here we go. God the Father. Matthew chapter 23, verse 9. We have a lot of scriptures. I'm going to throw a lot of scriptures. That's kind of been like the, the theme of this DNA series. I want, to just, I want you to be overwhelmed with verses and, 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 and the word of God. And I want you to go home with your families and to look at these things intently. Okay, here we go. God the Father. Matthew 23, verse 9. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. God being identified as, as Father, right? Father being identified as God. Here we go. Ephesians 1, chapter 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. All right? So we have a picture of God the Father. Now let's go God the Son, right? John chapter 10, verse 30. I and the Father are one. So we just see that God the Father is identified as God, and we have Jesus saying, I and, and the Father, we are the same. As the Father is God, I am God. What about this one? John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, I love this, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, throughout the Gospels, we see that Jesus refers to himself as the light and the truth and the word. So when it says the word was God, that's Jesus was God. Okay, now it's through the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 5, we have Ananias and his wife who sold a piece of property. We know that story. And Ananias lied and his wife was in knowledge of this lie because um, they were keeping some of the proceeds to themselves. And so Peter leans in and he says, man, Satan, uh, Satan, Ananias, he's filled your heart. And here's the, here's the point. He says, hey, Ananias, when you lied to the Holy Spirit, you were not lying to man, but to who? To God. That's what it says in Acts 5. And so we have a picture of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, can't you see? The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Son sends the Spirit as He sends a Spirit, right, via the Pentecost, as He sits on the right hand of the Father. Now, the best place to look at this imagery is going to be at Jesus' baptism. It's a beautiful imagery. So let's, let's, let's do this right now so we can see that there is one God, yet three distinct persons. You ready? Here we go. All right, here we go. So we have Jesus, the God-man, and He's in the water. We're getting baptized by John the Baptist. So he's literally, distinctly right there. You tracking with me? Now, then we have God the Father in the Shekinah glory cloud speaking down to his son. They're interacting. So we have God the Father in the Shekinah glory cloud saying, this is my son who I am well pleased with. We have Jesus literally in the water as he is communicating with his father in heaven. Then we have the Holy Spirit defending, um, descending like a dove. And this is my pet peeve. 
like a dove, like the Holy Spirit is not a dove, folks, all right? Like a dove, pure like a dove, um, beautiful like a dove, right? So are, are you track with me? God the Father in the Shekinah glory cloud saying, well done. Jesus in the water, Holy Spirit falling, all happening at the same time, three distinct persons, yet they are one God. So though there's not one verse that is clearly communicating that, hey, here's the word Trinity in the Bible, it is obvious and it is clear and it is blatant that the Trinity is so. And this is the same regarding church membership. It's the same. Like, though there's not one verse that we can turn to, over and over and over again, the scripture is screaming loudly that church membership is a biblical concept that is a directive and it is a design from God. And that's the foundation of today's message today. Here it is. Namely, church membership is a biblical concept that is dramatically implied clearly understood by biblical characters and demonstrated throughout scriptures as a directive and design from God. Now, I want to be careful with that word membership. Like, I don't know of any better term that we can, that can really fully embody what the scripture is communicating. And there's a reason why across literally almost every denomination, it's an agreed upon term. Like literally the root word of membership is member, right? Being members of the body, rather like my eye, my hand, my foot, they are literal members of my connected body. And I believe it's the most faithful word that we have. And it's why it's used pretty universally across. Now, many people will say and claim, fine, I submit, I need membership. But my, the only membership I need is to the universal body of Christ. Like I, I'm, a, I, I'm, a, I'm a child of God and I'm a member of the kingdom of heaven. But I want to show you four ways, not the only four ways that we can be here all day, but four ways in Scripture that the Bible implies loudly that church membership in the local church is both necessary and important. And that when you're not a covenant member of a local church, a local body of believers, you're playing a dangerous, dangerous game. But before we go any further, I want you to know that I'm assuming a few things. I'm assuming a few things. I'm assuming that you really love Jesus, right? Like if you do not love Jesus, this message is not going to mean a lot to you. You see, I'm assuming that you take the Bible seriously. Like you take it at face value. Because if you don't take the Bible seriously, this message is not going to mean much to you. Like I'm assuming you love the gospel, the story of God sending his son to pay for your debt. Because if you don't interact with the weight of what that means, this message is not going to mean a lot to you. And I'm assuming that you want to believe that there can be a local church where you can be known and loved and cared for and ultimately protected. I'm assuming, and it's going to be on the screen right now, um, that um, scriptures like Proverbs 18:12 mean something to you when it says, He who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Like God has not called us into isolation to seek our own desire, but to give up isolation, to give up our own desire for his desires. Listen to me. I'm assuming that you understand that there's no such thing as a lone Christian 
showing up whenever you want, dropping big fat checks and thinking that you've done your part and just walking out. Like God has called so much more than that. No, we've been called to be unique members of a specific body of Christ. And I'm assuming all these things because if you do not reverence God, if you do not love God, if you do not have fear of God, there's nothing in this conversation that's going to resonate with you. It starts with how big your God is within your life. Okay, let's take a deep dive. Here's the four ways that the Bible implies loudly that church membership um, to the local church is both necessary and important. Here's the first one. Church membership is implied loudly by church gatherings. Let's look at Hebrews 10, verses 24 through 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit, as is the custom of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, there's something being implicitly communicated here, not neglecting to meet together. So what I believe to be Paul, but what the author is communicating is, it is the habit of some not to get together, not to meet together. And he's saying, hey, don't do that. Hey, don't do that. Now, we see the word ecclesia, meaning the called out ones, permeating all throughout the New Testament. Whether it is the church of God in Corinth um, the church of God that meets with, um, in the house of Aquila and Priscilla, 90 out of 114 references to the ecclesia in the New Testament, all of them are referring to a specific group of people. Do you know that? A specific group of people gather together at a specific place. Like when Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, he's writing to a certain defined people. And when he's writing to the church in Ephesus, I want you to know he's writing to a specific group, defined people. Like, though scripture is for all people and we're reading it today, I want you to know that the original letter was written to a specific church at a specific time to a specific people for a specific issue. Are you tracking with me? And so it begs this question of every believer. Where are you gathering and where are you submitting your life to? Because the Bible makes it clear that you are to be identified with a specific group of people with specific leadership. Now, let's have some, let's have some real talk. Within so many churches, especially larger ones, guys, especially larger ones, but it can really be anyone, it's easy to become an anonymous attender who has no accountability to anyone, nowhere. Like, you can arrive late or you can leave early just at a time where you don't really need to meet with anyone or be challenged by anyone or meet the needs of anyone or even let someone meet your needs. And that's terrible because you and I, we can't do Christianity on our own. Like this is not a spectator religion where we can stand by and watch other people doing their thing. That's not what God has called us to. Like you and I can't do the one another's by ourselves. We can't love one another by ourselves. We can't speak truth to one another by ourselves. There's a relationship involved. Can't you see? Are we in agreement so far? Like Christ is Lord and through the apostles and the disciples, he has instructed things and provided things for us to do a certain way. And he's, and he's called us to meet together as a people a certain way, to do it in a customary way, in a habit-like way. It's all over scripture. Remember, we opened up, we talked about Jesus the boy at 12 years old. 
as was his custom, he was in the synagogue. So with that being the case, is it not right then that Sunday morning at church should be one of the first things we schedule on our calendars each and every week? Not something that might just happen if we can fit it in. Like, we're living in a culture where literally, did you know that like literally people will choose colleges and careers and move ac across the country and deem it wise to do so? But when it comes to the church, it's the last priority. Like, there's a difference between being providentially hindered from coming to church, like you're, like you're deathly ill or you're sick and you can't come, versus not setting your life up to make church important. Like, think about this. Lean in. Parents who are here today, like, like you literally will send your 18-year-old, I know that anybody who's 18, I know you think you're really grown, but for the parents, let's, let's just be honest, we will send our 18-year-old babies across the country because they get accepted on a scholarship to university and we'll deem it wise. It's common American culture. Again, let me say this. I want, I want you to feel the weight of this. You people move every day across the country because they get a promotion on a job and they consider it wise. But if a church moves to a different neighborhood, all of a sudden it's inconvenient. What is happening in our hearts? Like how awesome would it be if we could teach our children Remember we talked about this with the 90% of our actions, with what we do with our time, and, and, and we communicate with our lives that church is important, not just the 10% of what we say, because our children are watching us. Like, even if you don't think, like, this whole Sunday morning thing in particular is super important, this is not even about what you desire to do. This is an obedience issue. God has prescribed and designed it that way. This is an obedience issue. Like, look, when you don't go to church for two and three and four weeks, you, your spiritual health is deteriorating. Lead, look, we're living in a culture where now, literally, pastors and leaders don't even go to church. They're serving in church, they're leading church, they're doing programs, and they're not sitting down and they're not interacting with the Word of God. And hey, listen, I don't care who you are. If you are not locally gathering in a specific place and sitting under the word. It's not always about just learning a new verse. If you are not submitting your life to the word of God, I don't care who you are, your spiritual health is deteriorating. So here's a takeaway from number one. God didn't design us to receive everything we need from him on our own. God has instructed his people to regularly gather together in unity and that we would receive portions of him in community. Are you tracking with me? There are certain things you cannot get from God on your own. He has not created us that way. He's created us in relationship. Number two, church membership is implied loudly by church leadership. Okay, here we go. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Here's what the word of the Lord says, and this is to members of the church, okay? So everyone, this is you. This is being spoken to you. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. 
Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, I want you to look at where I underline. This is weighty. Not, not watching over your finances. Not primarily just watching over like your family customs. Literally, elders and pastors are charged with watching over the only part of you that's eternal. Everything else is temporary. That is a weighty, weighty reality. Now, here's to the elders and the pastors. This is specifically to the leaders of the church. Okay, here we go. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. To the leaders, elders and pastors. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Here, I love this part right here. I've always referenced this when I used to do internships with Azusa Pacific, young, aspiring pastors. Not under compulsion. I can't tell you how many people I've mentored that are aspiring pastors who are gloomy and doomy and almost interact like it's like a, like it's a, um, like it's a bother to walk towards the pastorate. Like that's not what God has called. Not under compulsion, but willing, gladly willing, as God would have you. Here's the thing though, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now, I love what, look what I underlined. If you've been leaning in with us, biblical man and womanhood, I want you to see this. Not domineering over those in your charge. Like, can't you see? We looked at biblical man and woman and we talked about, do you see the consistency of the God of the universe? Like people were like, oh, the sufficient of scripture, I can't, I, I, don't, I don't know if, if that's true. Or the infallibility, the infallibility of the word of God, I don't know if that's true. Like God is consistent. Have you seen how we've looked at that from Genesis and how he continues this consistent message? Listen, whenever you feel like God's not being, being consistent, always assume that it's you. <laughs> not God. God is consistent and we are not. It's usually an understanding problem. It's usually an understanding problem. Hmm. And when the chief shepherd appears, I love that. We all submit under authority. Me and Pastor Jack submit under authority. There's this beautiful chain of authority that God has designed. You will receive the unfading crown of glory. Like, are you tracked with me? Believers are instructed to be accountable to the elders of the church. That is coming straight out of the Bible. Are you seeing that? But how could this happen? Listen, lean in. How could this happen without believers being submitted to a local church? Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. Leaders will need to give an account for who they lead, right? They're going to need to give an account for that. So I'm the lead pastor here of this church. Who am I going to be, who am, who am I to give an account for? Pastor Jack is the connections pastor here. Who is he to give an account for? Like, does this mean, so like, let's go back to the universal church. So are we accountable for believers around the whole world? How could we possibly do that? No, that's crazy. Like, no, we as pastors and elders here are responsible for our flock at Redemption City Church. And this has massive implications about how we as pastors and leaders spend our time. Like, I don't want to get too much into this. We're going to look at this next week. But there's three categories of people that come to church. We have visitors, regular attenders, and covenant members. Visitors are people that literally come and they see. Regular attenders are those who, who come consistently. They come all the time. They can come for years even. You can, they can come. They can lean in. They can volunteer. 
But here's the difference between a regular attender and a covenant member. A covenant member of a church submits their life gladly to God's design for biblical leadership. And they allow authority to be put over their lives for their joy and protection. So what about you? Are you, are you being submitted to a local body anywhere? Are you supposed to submit to every single pastor in the world? Are you seeing how this is being the implicit statements here? Like literally, if you turn on a podcast and the pastor tells you to do something, are you to submit to him? Or what if you have the radio on and it's a Christian news channel and the pastor says, you need to do this, you need to tithe like that. Are you to be submitted to that? No, no, of course not. You're to be obedient and to obey the leaders in your local church where you have submitted your life to. Now, we just read Hebrews and 1 Peter, and it said that. Here's two more quick ones. Here we go. 1 Thessalonians 5, um, chapter 5, verses 12 through 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Look, lean in, focus on this verse. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work, but be at peace among yourselves. Let's look at the next one. 1 Timothy 5, verse 17 through 18, on the same screen, here we go. Let the elders who rule, there's that word, right? We wanna redeem this word. This kind of rulership is not supposed to be a bad thing, guys. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages and so there's a lot here but essentially like i'm i'm um the primary preaching and teaching pastor and what this there's a lot of things being applied here but this is usually referenced like on a tithing and an offering um series right and it's saying hey the man of God who is preaching and teaching, who is, taking, who is watching over the only part of your essence and being that is eternal. Hey, take care of him. He has a family. Take care of him as he watches over your soul. Now, there's, there, there's two things that I want you to think about as you keep looking. I want you to look, keep your eyes on that screen, right? So look at these two verses. Now, I want you to see this. If there's no church membership, right? If there's no church membership, no identifiable people, who would, who would be, who would be, who would this be talking to? Who would this be talking to? Like, the people in these verses actually know which leaders they're supposed to submit to. Do you see that? And the leaders that are that are being communicated in these verses actually know who they are in charge of. So in an individualistic, self-centered, my way or the highway, no one's in charge of me culture, this is a radically different message. But I want you to know this is biblically necessary. So here's the takeaway. Believers are instructed to be accountable to the elders of the church. Without church membership, it is impossible to fulfill God's requirements to obey and be submitted to the elders. Number three, church membership is implied loudly by church discipline. Now, we don't like that word, especially as adults. We're like, we're done with that stage. I'm an adult. No, you're not. Church membership is implied loudly by church 
discipline. Okay, let's look at Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. This is Jesus speaking. He's going to lean in. Jesus does not communicate very often about the church, and he does, so we want to lean in. All right, here we go. Here goes Jesus. If your, brothers, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. You tracking? Now watch, watch what happens. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence or, of two or three witnesses. Ready? Here, here, here's the moment, verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him to be as a Gentile, let him be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. Think about this. If there's no church membership, we just talked about this. If there's no church membership, no identifiable people, identifiable people, who would Jesus be telling this to? When Jesus says, if they refuse to listen, tell it to the church, who is he referring to? Like the universal church? Is, is he literally saying, hey, when you have a problem with your brother, he blast it to every single church in the Hillsboro, Tigard, Beaverton area. No, that, that's not what he's saying. That's ridiculous. That, that's, that's gossip. Like, and is he literally saying, tell it to random attenders who come and go as they please in your church? There, they have authority, random people coming in and out of church, they have authority over this situation? Like, like, no, that's not what's being, no. Clearly, there is a specific people who are handling this weighty matter. You tracking with me? Clearly, there had to be a recognizable people who regularly came together. Okay, let, let's look at 1 Corinthians. This is going to be an important, important verse to make this point. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 12 through 13. For what, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Purge the evil person from among you. Now, we don't have time to break down everything that's, that, that's being talked about in this passage, but the one thing I want to point out clearly is this. There's a difference between the people inside the church and those outside the church. Are you tracking with me? Like, there's, a, there's times where people inside the church must put people outside the church. You tracking? This is one form of church discipline. It's not the only one, but it's one form. And here's the thing. Any form of church discipline is always fueled with the loving and gentle hope of bringing reconciliation healing to a son and daughter in Christ who has went astray. Now, here's the thing. This is important. In order for someone to be excommunicated from a church, what's being implied here, are you ready? In order for someone to be excommunicated from a church, that would imply they would first have to be received, accepted, or taken in. They would have to be a member first. Are you tracking with me? Like, you can't be excommunicated from something that you don't belong to. Like, think about it. What if we, like, if I told you, hey, everyone in here, you are excommunicated from LA Fitness Gym membership. You'd be like, bro, you can't excommunicate me. I don't have a membership to start with, right? So the fact that you can be excommunicated implies you first have to belong. 
If there's a formal removal and an out, that implies there's a formal entrance. You see, there's an in. How would it be possible for Jesus and Paul to do what they're talking about if there was no local church? So here's the takeaway. God designed church discipline for elders to lovingly and gently exercise when necessary with the hope, uh, excuse me, to, uh, lovingly and gently, uh, uh, when necessary with the hope that sons and daughters who have veered away might be called into repentance. That's a big takeaway. All right, here's the final one. Church membership is implied loudly by accountability. We see God holding the church accountable in Acts chapter 6 for choosing leaders. I would encourage you to go look at that. We see the church is accountable for preaching the gospel in Galatians chapter 1. We see that the church is accountable for identifying members, and this is, a, this is huge, this is huge. The church is accountable for identifying members in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, here's what I found interesting in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I, I would love for you to look at this. This, this, is, this is deep, has deep implications for our culture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you'll notice this. The church defines who and what a member is, not of the member. Let me slow down and talk, say that again. The church defines what and who a member is, not individual people pressing their preferences. The church is accountable for sending missionaries. It talks about that in Acts 13. So all these passages, when you put them together, they beg the question of every follower in this room today. Are you accountable to anyone? Are you accountable to a local church? And I'm not saying that your name is just somewhere on some roll sheet where you attend that says I'm a member. That is not that is not what's being implied in the New Testament. I'm saying, who is your life committed to? Like what body of believers are you committed to being with and spurring you on and holding fast to the hope of God with? Deep life on life community with? Like who are the leaders that are in your life that you are literally submitting to where they can truly oversee your spiritual growth and challenge you? And if you can't answer that question, the truth is, and I want you to know this in love, you are living contrary to the pattern of the New Testament. And though what I'm saying is not particularly popular here in liberal Oregon, guess what? I don't care. I do not care. Because that is what is said in Scripture. And my heart is to be faithful to the Word of God. And I want to invite you to be faithful to the Word of God. And I want to submit my life to the Word of God. And I want you to submit your life to the Word of God as seen in Scripture. But here's the problem. Most people don't actually know what's in Scripture. And that's a huge problem. How can you be faithful and obedient to the Word of God if you don't know what's in the Word of God? Can't you see? Like, that's precisely why covenant membership is so important. God has appointed elders and leaders to exhort the Word of God and to teach and to shepherd you well, to arm you, to teach you how to handle the Word of God for yourself. But that requires consistent 
covenant membership where you don't keep traveling around everywhere, never submitting anywhere. Here at Redemption City Church, that is my primary job and role, namely to lead in the preaching and teaching, to raise up faithful men of God. And I want to do that humbly. And I want to do that faithfully for each and every person here today. So here's the takeaway for this, for number four. God designed church accountability for all members to best experience growth, protection, and maturity. Like me and Pastor Jack, we want to see you grow. We want to see you grow to be all that God has created you to be. But we can't help you grow if you're not here. Like we can't preach to the air. We can't love the air. That requires you to be here. Like we want to protect you. And we're not talking about literally like jumping in front of a bullet or something. Like, although I would do that for you, I would lean in and I'd jump in front of a bullet for you. Some of you, <laughs> uh, but it, we're, we're referencing protecting you like, like your marriages, like you might think like marriages between me and my wife and God, right? Always taboo Christianese things, marriage, man, woman, and God in the center. I would agree with you, and that'd be very true, except for the Bible. Except for the Bible says something contrary. Marriage is between man and woman in the institute under God and is to be expressed through the local church. The marriage institution is literally the vehicle of the gospel message of how we communicate the image of God, the Imago Dei, and we do that together as a collective unit of the body of believers. We want to help protect God's design. We want to help you grow into spiritual maturity. Like some of us, some of the men here, we're still boys. We got to grow up. We want to help you grow into maturity. But that requires you to be here. So I want to land the plane here. Listen to me. I want you to have a home where you can be known, where it's okay not to be okay. We keep talking about that, right? It's like, it's a, it's a saying that's going, that, that many churches are leaning into. It's okay not to be okay. We want this to be a safe community of believers that you can run for assistance and that you can have confidence that are not going to run to judge you. But hear me out. Hey, li listen to me, lean in. We also want this to be a home where you can be radically challenged in a loving and gentle way where we can lovingly and gently rebuke the things that need to be rebuked for your joy and for God's glory so you can grow and mature to be all that God's designed you to be. I want you to have a home that provides an expectation that every Sunday the Word of God matters. I want you to know every Sunday that when you come here that the Word of God matters. Like, listen, you can know this, when you come on a Sunday morning, we're not going to tell 35-minute stories and then spend five minutes in the Word of God. We're not going to have 45-minute sermon illustrations and seven minutes in the text. We want to explain, explain and expand upon the Word of God. It's sufficient. Uh, we want you to have a home where your children can learn from an early age what it means to risk their comfort so that they might reach their little cities in elementary school 
They can do this thing. We want you to have a home where, hey, listen, lean in with me, where you can be activated to serve God's kingdom, no matter how insecure, no matter how much you think you have no gifts and talents. We want to help. That's our job as elders and leaders. We want to help you to define and know what your spiritual gifts are. Because listen, until you do that, you're going to constantly feel less than God wants you to live vibrantly as the people of God. And listen, we as the people of God, we have got to stop church hopping from here to here, from that church to that church. Like, listen, like, oh, I'm going to that church because I like that worship. And I love the preaching here, so I'm going here. But I like that small group. I'm going, stop doing that. That is not, that is contrary to the New Testament. Hey, have you ever thought about this? Lean in. The whole point of church is not about every little thing you like. It's kind of like my kids at a birthday party. Like, there's times where I'm like, hey, Aubrey. She's like, I want chocolate cake. And I'm like, this is Aiden's birthday party. He wants vanilla cake. Like, lean in. This is not about you. Participate. But we as adults, we forget that sometimes. Like, it doesn't have to be your favorite worship style. You're not here for your worship style. You're here to worship God. Stop church hopping everywhere, finding every little thing and putting it together and thinking that you're doing it well. You're not doing it well. You're playing a dangerous game. Don't do that. And we can certainly agree on this. To not meet and to ignore the church altogether, that's not an option at all. And there's no place. Did you know this too? And I, and I, did, look, I did look as hard as I could, all right? There's no place in the entire New Testament, not one example of one regenerate believer who is not associated in covenant membership with a specific local church. You will not find it in the New Testament. So if you are here today and you are not fully committed in a covenantal type way to local church, I want you to walk out of here today with a firm commitment to make that a priority for your life. I want you to make that a priority for your life, folks. I want you to ask yourself this question. Where is that going to be? Whether it's here or somewhere else, where are you going to do this thing for the long haul? Where are you going to feel genuinely loved and known and cared for? Like, we literally have um, daughters in the Lord who are about to have babies here. We're so excited. We have people who are leaning in already, wanting to be baptized. Like, where is that going to happen for you? Where are you going to be known and loved and challenged and rebuked and, and, and taken care of? Where are you going to find a church where you don't get lost in the shuffle? As we prepare to conclude this series today and over next week at Celebration Sunday, I want you to consider everything that we've talked about being marked by the gospel, generosity, grace, gathering, going, manhood and womanhood unity within the family. And now I want you to imagine a couple things as we get ready to close. I want you to imagine all the future conversations we would have as a faith family about the things of God and how exciting and fresh, refreshing and redeeming that could be. I want you to think about our men's den night and how God can continue to grow us up as men to lead our families well. Now I want you to imagine your kids going through this very same DNA series like we're planning towards in January. Our kids can do this thing. They can do it. Now I want you to imagine leaving your ways behind 
for God's ways. To stop putting off your commitment and to activate. To activate. And hopefully to make that decision next week, if you can. Next week, we're going to have our Celebration Sunday. And in the Celebration Sunday, we're going to look at what covenant membership means here at Redemption City Church and how that's going to be expressed. We're going to have a time of refreshments and we're going to have times of raffles and we're going to have ice cream. But more important than anything, you're going to have an opportunity to lean in and to make a commitment to God and each other. And for some of us, we've been to church our whole lives. But we've never done anything like this. And hey, you may be a little bit frightened or anxious. You may still have questions. My hope and my prayer, and I can speak for Pastor Jack on this, our hope and our prayer is that this week you would spend time as a family and that God would be in the center of it and that you would get the answers that you need and the answers that you're looking for and that the Holy Spirit will give you a type of assurance that perhaps Redemption City Church could be a safe place for you to make your covenant family. We want that for you. And we don't want you to miss next week. It's going to be critical. It's going to be important. And it's going to be a celebration. Be there, family. Be there. Let's pray. Lord, I don't count my life of any value for my own sake, but I know that it's infinitely precious because you gave it to me. Help me never to forget that. Lord, we've been talking about weighty and heavy conversations, all interconnected around relationships, Lord. Relationships with each other, with you. God, help us because we need your help to understand rightly the beautiful design of church membership. Help Redemption City Church to be a redeeming place for something that has been abused and divisive. Let our church membership be a, a source of healing and safety and protection. But more than anything, Lord, I pray that it would just simply be the best vehicle to glorify you above all things. That we will lift up the renown of your name above all things, that we would love one another with all of who we are. Help us, Lord, to trust in your word, to submit to your word. It's for your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful Sunday.